Introducing CRS Radio Motown Legends and Alumni with Motown Alumni President, Association President, Mr. Billy Wilson, and Motown Alumni Association former recording artist, Mr. Billy Tappan. Welcome, everybody. Welcome tonight. Welcome, Billy. How are you doing this evening? God is always good to me. <laughs> man, another damn paradise, my man. So, you know, tonight uh, we're going to talk about the, the truth and the lies behind Motown, which Billy's going to bring to the table. Um, it's going to be very, very uh, interesting. And it's going to be some factual stuff here that maybe a lot of people got misconstrued on um, what they've heard. But uh, this guy right here definitely knows the history of what really went on behind the scenes. Okay, so now we're going to introduce Billy Wilson. Billy Wilson, you got the floor. Well, all right, all right. Hello, everybody. Uh, thank you for being here. I certainly have been interested in wanting to talk about all of the confusing information that pertain to Motown. I've been, I've been wanting to talk about this for years, so this is a great opportunity for me to do that. I, I've done it with numerous lectures and numerous seminars, but to do it on a public platform like this is very, very rare. So let's take it from the very beginning. One of the things people don't know about Barry Gordy is that at one point in time, he had a record shop. And he also liked jazz. He was not really a a great fan of R&B, but his biggest, uh, the music that he appreciated the most was jazz. And his record shop pretty much sold jazz records. The problem was, as R&B was growing, jazz wasn't quite as popular as it used to be. That's probably the biggest reason why the shop had to close. But rock and roll was becoming popular. Uh, I don't even think they called it R&B at that time. You know, uh, they called it race. They called our music race music at that time. But Barry Gordy was um, an entrepreneur of the smallest degree at first. His sister Gwen and Billy Raquel met uh, the people from uh, Jackie Wilson's organization and they brought Barry in, and Barry Gordy wrote the first couple of hits. Many of the hits that you hear uh, on Jackie Wilson's recordings. Reek Petit, okay. 
lonely teardrops, numerous songs of that nature. He was, he was very uh, he was very prominent in helping to push that type of of, of music at that time. Even though he he loved jazz, you know he had a good he, he had a good feel for for the music genre. And uh, that's also where he met Smokey. Smokey came with his They were auditioning for groups at uh, Boot Records. And Smokey's group, the the Matadors, came in and they auditioned. They didn't make the auditions, but as they were walking out the door, Barry kind of seen something in them. So he went chasing after them. And he asked, you know, Smokey, whether he had more songs. Smokey, well, yeah, Smokey had his, his binder of hundreds of songs. And Barry looked through them, took the time to look through them. And he said, yeah. okay, I can see a structure here. And that structure ended up being a part of the whole Motown sound as time had gone on. No, that That's is pretty amazing, awesome. really. It is. That's, that was amazing because I didn't know that part of it. Um, all I knew was mm-hmm. that um, the Jackie uh, Wilson and the Smokey situation, but now we're going to where it originated from, and a lot of people don't know this. So I'm throwing it right back to you. So yeah, continue. Well, you know, what was funny is that Barry, during the time, Barry was somewhat popular in Detroit particularly Detroit. And so um, Smokey had heard of Barry Gordy before, but he didn't, you know, obviously he didn't really know Barry. But they became close friends. Barry became the the Matador's manager. And as time had gone on, eventually they changed their name to the Miracle. But what was interesting is that Barry was, when he finally got his first royalty check, you know, everybody celebrates the royalty check when you get the first one. Right. So, so when he opened the, when they finally opened the envelope. I think he had like. Um, remember, this is Jackie Ru- Jackie Wilson's music. He had three dollars. <laughs> three dollars. <laughs> wow. Three dollars. <laughs> and and I, of course, he was <laughs> qu- quite disappointed. <laughs> and, <laughs> and smoke smoke wow. said. Man, look, for $3, you could start your own company and make more money than that. 
And very agree. So what now, he did was he, he started his own publishing company. Okay. And, uh, you know, it, at first it was called Ray Bear. Eventually okay. in, in, it ended up being Joe Bat. Remember that. I remember and, that. Yeah. So his, and his first record company was Tamala Records. Now, they had to name it Tamala because at that time of the song Tammy, I believe by Doris Day, okay. the, song Tam- the song Tammy was popular and Barry Gordy liked that name. But, but somebody owned the name. So he ended up changing the name to uh, portions of his kid's name, which ended up being Tamala Records. Okay. So, so in that he had this Tamala Record label, his ex-wife. Raynoma uh, she was his business partner she was actually the co-owner of Motown there he had I remember that. a partner and she was the co-owner Miss Ray was was very instrumental in studio production stuff. She helped with the background vocals. She helped with management. She had perfect pitch hearing and she could sing her butt off. And so so it started the Ray Bear, the Ray Bear label and the Ray Bear publishing company. Which is, you you know, Ray Bear. Let me ask you this, Billy. Now, with the Manador, um, which is Smokey's group, they were all one group, I, I imagine. But is there any song that we can recognize that our, our listeners could recognize from back in them days? As the Manadors? Yeah, as the Manadors. You know, uh, let me see. Did they record as the Manadors? I don't think they did. Okay. I think that so they they recorded as the miracle. Gotcha. Oh. And let let me also say, in previous to the Matadors, they had a group called the Chimes. The Chimes and the Chimes. C H I M E S. The Chimes. Gotcha. But eventually, uh, one you know members start quitting, and and uh, you know it, it eventually ended up being the uh, the miracle. Okay. Now one 
one of the other interesting parts is that uh, Mark Tarplin, it was keyboard player for the Miracles. You see him on the very first album covers. You know, mm-hmm. during that time, it was, during that time, it was very popular to have your guitar player, you know, in the pictures. Right. And and the uh, but Mark Tarplin. He came from the Pratnet that the Pratnet were the Supremes. He Oh, that's interesting. When the when the auditioned for or Motown, at first Barry told him go back and get out of high school and then you can come back after that. Which they did, but they came with Mark Tarplin. Uh, the guitar player. Well, mm-hmm. Smokey, they liked the primates. They were okay background singing and other things of that nature. But Marv was so good, he asked him, can, can he borrow a guitar player? Of course, they mm-hmm. said, yes, sure, whatever you want. Well, he never went back to him, and he ended up being the co-writer for most of the hits that we know of the miracle. Oh. Okay. Wow. I didn't know that. Uh, I didn't know that. Smoking is a fan of mine. Also, in the process of in the process of smoking. Creating his band, there were other people that were part of his group. They end up being significant in uh, in Motown's history. Joe Messina, the guitar player. You know the the White Soul Brothers. That's, that's what he used to call him. And he ended up being the guitar player for. Or, or uh, the miracles, and Marvin Gaye was the drummer. I do oh. remember that. I do remember that. Yeah. Marvin was the drummer. He was he was one of their first drummers, and he he went on the road with the miracles too. Whenever they were performing. You know, it wasn't until later they found out he could sing. Then they found out not only could he play drums, he could play keyboard. And they found that out at a party one time. He, you know, Marvin was kind of a recluse-ish type. You know, he kind of he was shy and he kind of stood by himself a lot. But he seen a piano. He got to sitting down and started playing, and people were like, "Whoa, this guy can play!" Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, so of course he wrote. He ended up writing most of his songs, and and uh, you know, he sometimes he performed those songs on keyboard on stage. Mm. You kind of you knew. 
you knew what songs were Marvin's songs because whenever he played on stage, that means he wrote the songs. Wow. Gotcha. That's a gift. Now, let me ask you this, Billy. Let me ask you this, not to cut you off, but let me ask you this. Is there any truth, and we can go back to what you're saying, but is there any truth that when Tammy Terrell died, I know it affected him. Was it the fact that he didn't perform anymore because of the death of her, that sabbatical? Yes. Yes. Okay. Because so that is true. You know, they were close. They, yeah. They were close. They were close friends. They weren't lovers, but they were friends. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Right. And both both of them had. Uh, of course, they had an attraction to each other, but they they kept their business business. Right. But uh, Tammy, she certainly looked up to him as a, almost like a big brother. Gotcha. So, and he looked he he looked at her like a little sister. So they their friendship was so deep. It was so. Deep. And they enjoyed each other, and because they admired each other, both of them sexy, both of them had that appeal about them. Both of them really enjoyed each other's presence. Well, they were but a powerhouse, when, that's for sure. They were a powerhouse. Yeah. They were. Yes. And they were. so by 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 the time they by the time that she got sick. Obviously, it was on stage, and she collapsed on stage. Of course, nobody knew mm. exactly what was happening, what was happening, but it ended up being an aneurysm. Oh, and, and she lived a little bit after that, and eventually died. But when she died, that was really that was such a Tremendous shock to him. It was. It was. Wow. It missed him up That's for years. I know that. I mean, an aneurysm, yeah. you can't even begin to even know that anything like that is going to happen. That is. Right. That's tragic. Mm-hmm. That's right. And, and on that note, uh, can we go into a commercial break at this time and we'll come back with more of a Billy and Billy? and the rest of this story, and we'll be back. All right. We will return. This is CRS Radio, the knowledge station. You are listening to Motown Legends and Alumni with Billy and Billy. From author Dr. Denise Gotadis comes a self-help guide that will give you valuable information about the world around you in ways never imagined. The Metaphysical God in Relation to His Creation. Available on Amazon. In this must-read book, you will learn about your importance in the world and the metaphysical universe around you. You will be introduced to the Metaphysical God who has a relationship with you and those around you. Whether you are aware of this or not, you come into contact with Him daily. He is omnipresent metaphysically. He is in and 
and outside of his creation. And what does a metaphysical God have to do with you and the creation around you? You are a very big piece of a huge puzzle. The Metaphysical God in Relation to His Creator from author Dr. Denise Gotadis is available on Amazon. Order your copy right now.
this is CRS Radio, the Knowledge Station. You are listening to Motown Legends and Alumni with Billy and Billy. And we are back. That song was sung by Motown's recording artist, Goldie Love, also known as Billy Tapton. Welcome back to CRS Radio Motown Legends and Alumni with Billy and Billy. Yes, we're back. Yeah, let me make a correction. Um, actually, it's just that my uh, private, private project, um, that was in Motown, but that was me. That was me, uh, Goldie Love. And Billy, I, um, that was one of my releases from back in 88. Uh, that had Tim Cunningham on that as well. Um, so the sax that you're hearing is Tim. And he guy's awesome. So let's go back to where we were coming from in terms of uh, the truth and lies that we hear about Motown. So we were at the point where we're talking about uh, uh, Tammy Terrell. So let's pick up yeah. from that and move forward. Well, uh, I want to uh, make it clear that Dave Ruffin did not hit Tammy Terrell in the head with a hammer, and neither did either did James Brown. She she dated both of them. Now, mind you, oh. that doesn't mean that doesn't mean they didn't have physical fights, which they did, and. Uh, there's this one incident that uh, David that was told to me through a Richard Street that David Ruffin, him and David were, I guess they were going to eat somewhere. And this hotel that everybody was staying in, it had the balcony was on the inside of the building, so when you went out on the balcony, you could see the the uh, area where people were socializing. So apparently, Tammy wanted he she wanted uh, David to come back because she wasn't finished arguing with him. So at first, David was just. He said, man, forget her. He kept on walking. So she said, either you come back or I'm going to jump off this balcony. He stopped. He said, man, wait a minute. He went back up to the room. They got into a big fight. He grabbed her and, and had her by both ankles and hanging her over the balcony. She's screaming and hollering and, you know, asking him to stop. Now, she was literally hanging, but he said that he he, he looked between her legs and kept saying, maybe I shouldn't do this. Okay. He pulled her back up. They get to fighting again. And then he comes back downstairs. 
he said, Billy, I mean, uh, 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 Richard, he said, she's just too pretty. Mm. Wow. And he wow. kept on walking. Now, oddly enough, the hotel people that seen the incident told the story. But eventually, David told the story, too, as well as Richard Street. He told the same story. Everybody told the same story. Okay. That's interesting. But, that is interesting. But 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 for sure, nobody got hit in the head with a hammer or anything of that nature. That that was one of the myths of how Tammy uh, got her brain, you know, damaged, and that wasn't the truth. So where did that come from? That myth is just something just out of thin air. Somebody just created that. Who knows? No. Myth. I always. There's always media. There's always. There's always Mm. something and somebody that can come up with an with an alternative, you know, advantage uh, perspective. Always, I mean, just like John F. Kennedy's death, you know, it, it, people think that there was a second person to, to do the shooting, but it, no, that's mm-hmm. it, neither here nor there. Now, this right here with uh, um, with uh, James Brown, you said she uh, was messing around with James Brown. Was that, that was a physical situation as, as well with Tammy? Yeah. Yeah, oh yeah. Yeah, James okay. used to beat her every now and then and even to the point where one time her I think her sister said that she had walked in. She went to see her. It was a dress on the I believe the story is the dress was on the bed but it was bloody. Mm. And and her wow. sister seen. You know, she, she never told that she had gotten into a fight with James. But, hmm. you know, Tammy could fight. She could fight now. She, she will did. take on a, She will take on a man if the man, you know, gets too abusive with her now. Right. Kind of, similar yeah. to my mother. My mother was a short woman, but she'll take you on if she has to. Right. Yeah, I just wondered about some of them stories. And she wasn't a tall woman either. She was a small woman. So uh, let's let's go further into the Motown story. Um. When when Barry started, he had a crew of musicians. Now, let me tell you that of the Funk Brothers, 
we know the Funk Brothers as the musicians we've seen on television. Correct. That's how you, we kind of identified the Motown musicians as those guys. When actuality, the original Funk Brothers, it depends on how you look at it. Uh, Martha Jean, the Queen, actually named the Funk Brothers. They were at the Chit Chat Club. Martha was the DJ. And this particular group of musicians were the original Funk Brothers. The original Funk Brothers was Earl Van Dyke, James Jamerson, uh, Ron White, and uh, 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 the drummer um, yeah, I Jones. can't think of his name. Mm-hmm. Jones. Uh, can't remember his first name, but his last name is Jones. Okay. And, and those were the those were the original Funk Brothers. Now they were some bad boys. They they were bad, yeah. Um, so those were the ones that Martha Jean named. Now the Joe Hunter band was the very first musicians that actually play at Motown. Okay. Now, amongst those Funk Brothers, uh, the only original guys was Joe Hunter and James Jamerson. Because Benny Benjamin, he was a part of that group. Uh, Vita and uh, uh, the the uh, Hank Crosby, he was a part of that group. There, there was only there was about five members of Hank, uh, and the group was the group was Joe Hunter's band. They were the original punk brothers. I'm sorry. They were the original band members that played at Motown. They weren't called the Funk Brothers then. If you had had to identify the original Funk Brothers, those are the guys that played at the Kit Kat. In the movie version, they, they added the people that they wanted in to be the Funk Brothers. These are These are all musicians that played at Motown and they called them the Funk Brothers because there was no there was no other name to call them. The original name, oddly enough, was Earl Van Dyke and the band. Okay. That was the original that was the original Funk Brothers name. Earl Van Dyke and the band. Okay. You know and uh and when they went overseas, I think that's exactly what their name was then, Earl Van Dyke in the band. 
Hmm. Earl Van Dyke. Earl Van Dyke was the leader of the group. James Dave, James Jameson was not the leader of the group. Earl Van Dyke was. Okay. Uh-oh. Now, when we're looking at the fact of, uh, let's look at uh, David Ruffin and the Temptations. Uh, not to take you off the yeah. path, but let's look at that. And what do you think uh, outside of maybe drugs and situations like that? Um, what do you think the, the the problem was with the whole group? Because that, Otis, I think, is the one that formed the group, if I'm correct. It was a mixture of uh, Otis Williams and the distance and the crime. Okay. So uh, he was in the beginning of the group, but uh, like uh, – like Eddie Kendrick said, Eddie brought the lead singer, which was Eddie and Paul Williams. Mm-hmm. With the with the distance, Richard Street was the lead singer, but he quit. And okay. It, they the two groups blended together. Once they all met, they blended together. And it originally they called themselves the Elgins. Then they called okay. then they record they recorded as the pirates. Wow. And then they then they eventually became the temptations. Now, in terms of the name, where did they get it from was Something that was chosen by Barry and Smokey. Yes. Oh. Okay. No. Okay. Smokey had nothing. No, but it was that Barry. That was the Barry creation. Okay. I mean, now, I'm sure. The, I'm sure the band had something to do with it. You know, they may have created their own name, really, but right. but I'm sure Barry had a lot to do with it. Now, also, okay. let, me, let me also say, there was a white group called the Temptations before the Black Temptations. Oh. There was a white Temptations. There was a white Supremes. Hmm. Didn't know but, that. You know, at, at that time, nobody thought about suing each other for the name, so... You know, right? Wow, that is something. I didn't know that. I know you'd never know yeah. that. They could no. have sued the white, and I believe the white uh, temptations eventually did try to sue, but by that time, the black temptations were so popular that you know. They had a lot of money to back them up, and the White Temptations, they didn't have that much money, and they didn't do that many gigs. Right. So they had to step down on that. They had to step down. So so what do you think the issue was with the vocalists in that group? Um, Because I I know that that, uh, actually um, David Ruffin actually left for a minute, and Jimmy, Jimmy Ruffin came in. Am I correct on that? No. His brother came in. Or was that back? No. His brother never came in. His, his brother but, was never part, part of the temptation. 
Now, didn't he do a song on there? It, not with the Temptations. He he I, done a song by by himself. Hmm. No, he never he never sung with the Temptations. And okay, because uh, as a matter of fact, even if you look back through history, the Temptations' history, you'll never see his brother there. You you will see Eldritch Bryant. Eldritch no. Bryant was the original like- Temptation. It, it seemed and, to me and like, Dave, and listen, and David ahead. Ruffin, David Ruffin took Eldridge Bryant's place. Okay, but, but nobody it seems like for some up. reason, some reason I I seen Jimmy on a song. I don't know what song that was. What was it? What what becomes of a broken hearted? Or was it, it one prior to that? Broken hearted. Jimmy done his own thing. And okay. what becomes of a broken heart is that song. That particular song had a whole different name and a whole different singer. Oh, and, okay. And apparently, apparently, uh, they didn't like it. Hmm. So, um, so Jimmy got the opportunity to uh, come and sing the song, and they, it, it, I believe the song even had different words to it. Okay. And, so and, Jimmy sung on that, that. That was his hit. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Yeah, I'm like, I remember something uh, about Jimmy. And that song popped up in my head. So, um, okay, okay. And he sang, and he sang, there was a duet album that was done with him and his brother, David, also. Okay. They done a duet album. So, uh, a lot of uh, misinformation has circled. I mean, so much information. It's it's even hard to keep up with everything. But most of it is um, is something that you have to sort of pick apart. And you have to pick it apart slowly because you may not understand one element And you may okay. not understand her element. Okay. As, as an example, one of the one of the myths is that Barrett Gordy screwed his artist out of money. You know that's the biggest one. Okay. But let's, Barrett, let's go to Barrett, let's go to commercial break first, and then we'll get to that because okay. I want to get into that deep. So let's okay. take it to commercial break, and we'll be right back with Billy and Billy. This is CRS Radio, the Knowledge Station. You are listening to Motown Legends and Alumni with Billy and Billy.
This is CRS Radio, the knowledge station. You are listening to Motown Legends and Alumni with Billy and Billy. And you were just listening to Switch. We are back, and I'm telling you, uh, that is my boy Bobby, rest in peace, uh, along with Tommy, rest in peace. And a shout-out to my great friend, uh, uh, Gregory Williams. And we're back with Billy and Billy. Billy, uh, we're going to pick off where we left off at, um, which we're talking about. Uh, uh, we're talking about the Temptations, and we're talking about Jimmy Ruffin, David Ruffin. And so let's pick up from there. In case the listeners that are just now chiming in, you're listening to the Motown show with uh, the Motown alumni show with Billy and friends, and uh, Billy and Billy, excuse me. So um, let's get back to the topic. Okay, let me see. Let's go um, with uh, Motown not paying musicians. That that was false also. 
and the, you have to look at the history of music when you when you talk about that. Uh, back in the day, nobody musicians didn't get paid <laughs> that much at all. As a matter of fact, uh, most musicians, most entertainers, singers, whoever, whoever the featured artists were, whether it be a group or a lead singer, they usually only got 2% of sales. That's 2% of the royalty. Now, in those days, uh, 2% could have been two pennies. Two right. pennies per, per 45 sold. Now, if you look at the price range of 45, they were usually 99 cents. Eventually, in the seventies, they were a dollar twenty-nine each, and Motown was a predominant seller of forty-five. Even though they sold albums, the 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 predominant of their sales were forty forty-five. So. Correct. Since everybody got 2%, if you were part of a group, you got 2% too. But that mm-hmm. might have been 2% of the of the 2% that the entire group got. Right. So how much money would you make then? Nothing. Yeah. You'd make that you'd make that same money that Barry Gordy made when he was with Jackie Robinson. I mean, Jackie yeah, Wilson. That, yeah, and that $3 check. <laughs> right, that's $3 check. Now, yeah. let me, let now, me if, say this. If now. You, go ahead. Go ahead. No, now, well, if you look I at was, it. I was, is, but hang on, hang on, hang on. Let me, let me add something else. If okay. you were a mate, if you are a major artist on a record, like Smokey and somebody of that nature, you might have made four percent. All major major artists were making four percent then, including Elvis Presley. Okay. Including Elvis Presley. Okay, what what's your question? Oh, my thing was, you know, in terms of their expenses, um, my understanding was that they were getting paid back in those days $200 a week a piece. Am I correct on that? Motown was paying that? Or was that a part of their money, um, their advance? So That That was a part of their advance, yes. Right, that's what I thought. Because a lot of it was uh, the cars, the housing, and stuff like that was a part of the advance. So, yeah. So they looked really good, um, but they weren't. I, who was doing the writing most of the time for them? 
They had a lot of writers. The Holland, Doja Holland, everybody wrote. Yep, yep, definitely. Everybody, so. everybody except for the artists wrote. Yes. Yeah. The artists. Yeah, I think that was like the in. golden rule, wasn't it? Yeah. Back then, yeah. wasn't it kind of the golden rule? They had a that staff of writers and the staff mm-hmm. of writers. The, the reason for the staff. Of, now, keep in mind, Barry was a songwriter. So, so basically, he made the record company for the songwriter. Mm-hmm. He, he didn't make it for the artist. He made it for the songwriters. And gotcha. that's why he had a staff of songwriters. Because hmm. you know, he, he could relate to songwriters. Songwriters right. made the money. Artists didn't make that much money at all. Artists made money when they were on the road. And even with that, even with that, they go on the road. Barry didn't mind lending you money. Your okay. money, your he even dance you money for different things. He pay your electric bills and food bills or anything else you want. But that was advanced money that came out of your royalty. Now mm-hmm. if your royalty if your royalty check wasn't that good then this advanced money was a, a a great addition to your bank account. Right. But in most but in most cases Every most people got an advance. Most people paid for the things that they wanted. If they went on the road, they seen a fur coat and they wanted. Barry Gordy didn't mind buying the fur coat. Mm-hmm. But the art, but the artists who come home, they might have only a hundred dollars in their pockets. Gotcha. And if you were a group. That hundred dollars had to be split between the group. Wow. Now, let me ask you this: as a writer, in those days, what kind of percentages were they getting from Motown? Two percent. Really? <laughs> they, were, they were getting two percent. Yeah. And so uh, the writer. Uh, the the writers <laughs> didn't get an awful lot more either. Okay, now Barry would get the publishing. Is that how that worked? Of course. Yeah. Yeah, he'd get all the Barry publishing. He had all yes. of the publishing. Yeah. Okay, that's where the money's at. Um, the song the songs went into the kitty. You know, I think mm-hmm. how Doja House certainly got their four percent, but nobody got much more than that. Okay. Now, um, let me ask you this. Now, in terms of of records coming out, was this a a factor that um, they voted on different artists like The Temptations, Smokey, or whose release is going to come out? Is there any truth to that? Yes. They had uh, a group. uh, They called it the... um, 
now my mind's going blank, but they they had a particular group they they had they would come in every Monday, I believe that's when the time it was, and okay. the it was usually the producers and the executives that that chose which songs were supposed to go out. Okay. And and uh, uh, Billy Jean Brown was one of the first people that chose the songs themselves, the songs that she thought was the best because she had a good ear for music. And uh, it was called Quality Control, the Quality Control Group. And the Quality Control Group would choose the songs. They would vote on whose song should go out next. And, of course, That's what I heard. Better had, if, they, if they chose the time of 9 o'clock in the morning, you had to be there at nine o'clock, not nine o one. Because if you mm-hmm. you might be locked, you will be locked out at if you are not there at nine o'clock. And of course, okay. people be you know they'll beat on the doors and you know they they would call right. the ruckus because most people, if they particularly your your song is going to be chosen that day. Of course, you want to be there to vote on your song. And there were times when even Smokey was locked out. Wow. Okay. So, so he wasn't there to vote on his own song sometimes. Okay. Another question is, um, when did they start actually giving um, Smokey and Stevie and these guys um Writers' rights. When did that come about? Uh, almost from the very beginning. I know Smokey for sure from the very beginning. But okay. you remember Barry Gordy is a songwriter. Yeah. So yeah. any anybody who produces records, they get writers' rights immediately. Okay. Okay. If if you if you were a songwriter, you got writer's rights. There was a song, for example, the Marvelette, uh Please, Mister Postman. Right. George, origin, the original singer was Georgia Dobbins. She was she was the best singer in the group. Oh. And and. and this is before they actually recorded the song. So what happened was they brought the song back. That Barry Gordy asked me, do you have a song? They said, no. They went back to Inkster. They got this guy that wrote this song. But Georgia mm-hmm. did not... She was the lead singer. She did not like the song that hmm. he wrote. He, she didn't like. She didn't like the words that he wrote. So hmm. she asked him if whether she could borrow the title of the song, and she wrote new words. 
police Mr. Postman. This was about a guy that she used to like that was a postman. Mm. Oh, that's interesting. (laughs) It basically talked about him. Okay. So they brought the song back. They sung the song. Everybody liked it. And the Marvel X got a contract. But the song, what happened was the song was given given to a couple of the guys uh, at Motown that were songwriters, and they changed it because Please Mr. Postman was a slow blues song. Oh, wow. They changed they changed it to the up temple song that we hear today. But gotcha. getting back to the getting back to the writers <laughs> part of it. Motown gave Georgia Dobbins co writers rights as well as the guy who actually wrote the song. So whoever you know, they wrote the song. The words that you hear, George and Dobbins created. And even though the guy only had the title, they still added him in as part of the writer's right. Oh, that was nice. Wow. And, that was nice. And George did get royalties. Hmm. Hmm. Now, See, another thing, was the Chiffons Chupon, a part of Motown? No, the group survived. Oh, okay. I was thanking for some odd reason they were part of that. Okay. No. Okay. No, not that I, right. not that I know. Of. No, I was just kind of thinking on them for, for whatever reason. I thought maybe they were part of Motown. Yeah, there's a okay. lot of groups that were not a part of Motown, but but sometimes different people would come out of that group and join Motown. They would come out of their group. And join Motown. Mm-hmm. And, and now, there, there were numerous major stars that done that. Now, who would you say that actually did that? That was with another label. Uh, 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 uh the um, Pointer Sisters. Okay. Um, Anita Pointer. Oh. Okay. She joined Motown. Uh, uh, there were numerous people that that end up being a part of a uh, uh, Laura Lee. She was with the Meditation Singers, the gospel group, the Meditation Singers, okay. and she was with, she was with Rick Tick. Or mm-hmm. yeah, Rick Tick, and she ended up. Thinking for Motown. Okay. Wow. Now, new, how was a whole lot of people? Now, let me ask you this, Billy. In uh, the sounds of Philadelphia and Motown, there was kind of like competition going there at one time. Uh uh-uh, uh uh uh. Oh no, competition! Okay. Everybody everybody followed Motown. Okay. Yeah, I, I mean the sound of Philadelphia. What was great about them is they had great music. They did, but nobody they really did. Nobody, nobody could be 
competed with Motown. No. No. Okay. They had great music, and, that, and yes, they all much of their music really stood out in the masses. But Motown didn't look at Philadelphia like they were competition. And I mean, mm. they had they, Motown had the arsenal of Negroes. Mm-hmm. You know who had who had that? Nobody. Yeah, I mean, they no. really had a unique sound as well, and a nice roster of artists as well as Motown. You know, and let, me the also, years. Let, let me also say Motown catered a lot to, to the white public. That they did. They, they, they still did. now today. Philadelphia, they catered to black people. Right. There was yeah. no competition. <laughs> there was no competition because white people was the popular. That's what Barry Gordy. That's who Barry Gordy wanted to buy his music, even though he said, "I cater to the world." No, yeah, but they really catered to white people a lot, and, and how they still they do. Catered, so, and they well, still do. Well, not not no, not as much today, but uh, uh, and I'll get back to that, but. The, one of the ways that they cater to white people is a structure they call the formula. And the formula are elements that they put in the music that white people could hear well. For example, gotcha. you hear the you hear the tambourine and clapping, clap, 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 clap. You know, black people mm-hmm. clap like that. Right. We clap on a two. We clap on a two and a four. Right. Two, three, four. That's how black people clap. White people, when we watch them on television, they always clap, 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 clap. Well, Holland Dozier Holland, who who came up with this idea called the formula, they. Seen that white people done that, so their music clap, 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 baby, baby, clap, 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 clap. Mm-hmm. Come see about me, clap, 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 clap. It was the formula that triggered white people's psyche. Brilliant. And white, white America. They jumped all on top of it. I dare they say really that did. young they really young did. white children young white children brought Motown into flourishing. It's young yeah. white not young black people. Black people you know, we we respect our black people but the problem is black people will grab a hold of the music. They'll like you for a moment and they'll move on. And you better yep. come up with another. You better come up with another hit, like two months later. Exactly. Or, 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 or black people after, will move on, and they'll drop you. They'll drop you like a like dropping a nickel in a pond. It's still the same way. I mean, the record gets old with with black folks. 
after about two weeks of rotation. So So in that perspective, see, white people hang on to their stuff. Look look how long they've been hanging on to Elvis Presley. Yep. They yeah. hang, hang on and hang on. They come. They go to the they go to Graceland in wheelchairs. Mhm. That's right. They hang. They hang on and look at the Northern Soul people. Northern Soul. Once they got hooked on the Negroes, that they they created a whole genre of music called Northern Soul music. Or, Mm-hmm. Uh, a weekend, they do weekenders where they dance to black music all weekend long. Most of us can't last more than three hours at, at a club. Weekend, right. Northern Soul, Northern Soul people, they will dance a whole week all night long. They they mm-hmm. they come in the daytime, they will dance all night long. Go to bed. Eat a little something in the morning. Go tourism. Go do tourism crap. Then come back at night and dance some more all night long. And then go redo that over again five times. Mm-hmm. Wow. <laughs> all right. Let's we do won't. this. Let's <laughs> let's take a commercial break and we're going to come back and pick off where we left. Pick up where we left off at. All right. This is CRS Radio. This is CRS Radio, the knowledge station. You are listening to Motown Legends and Alumni with Billy and Billy. Blazing sun, come on. When the blazing sun comes up, no escaping from the rays. Feel the fire, it's engulfing through the smoke and through the haze. I will leave you all amazed, got you digging your own grave. In this revival, top arrivals, there's no chance of your survival. To the throne, I am entitled, and I'll strip you of your title. I'm the king, you are the peasant, there's no time for second guesses. I am dead, I'm a child from the God above. I am dead, make it on my own, don't need no press. I am dead, off this fix, to the top I'll grow. I am dead, place to eat and watch this giant grow. The need that I am feeding, what the industry is needing is me bluffing through the system to rejuvenate the rhythm. So much hell I'm going to give the mess, I'm busting out the prison. Listen, as the unforgiving, as I carry out the sin. Execution on the gallows, you're so angry and you're callous as the hammer. It is falling so horrendous and enthralling. Like a Roman gladiator, I'm the ultimate elated. As the crowd is going wild, not the casualties compiled. Take you out with different styles, I'm a child of the heaven. And the sun got is a weapon, you'll be raised to get you tripping. And I burn you all the vapors, you're a flammable as paper as I'm pulling off. Escape, I got you evading the danger Now you're drowning in confusion You've been living in delusion Terrified, you're seeing clearly That you're never getting near me I will beat you all sincerely Everyone's paying dearly Merely told you what I mean And like a hyper beast of singing Every angle getting covered Suffocated and you're smothered By the power overtaken As the thunder lord of work When the blazing sun comes up No escaping from the rays Feel the fire It's been going through the smoke And through the haze I will leave you all amazed Got you digging your own grave In this revival top arrival There's no chance of your survival To the throne I am entitled as I strip you of your title I'm the king, you are the peasant There's no time for second guess I am dead I'm a child from the God above I am dead Make it on my own, don't need no crush I am dead My future's fixed to the top, I'll go I am dead Fast to feed and watch this giant grow Actually, 
I will attack you with this telekinetic vacuum. The reality of thinking brings a vision in a being. You're amazed by what you're seeing, not the average human being. And I wouldn't change a thing. Very different is the king. Won't be ducking when I swing. And I'll knock you out the ring on everything. That's what it is. Getting closer to the ledge. I will never lose my edge. Now you're falling through your doom. And you're doling down the stairs like a bull that's being red. With two holes up on his head. And I'm charging your defense. And you couldn't go the length. You don't equal to a tenth. I push the level to a hundred in this battle that you want to play no game with opposition. Take you off, that is my mission. Play no games with opposition, take you off, that is my mercy. When the blazing sun comes up, no escaping from the rays. Feel the fire is engulfing through the smoke and through the haze. I will leave you all amazed, got you digging your own grave. In this revival, top arrivals, there's no chance of your survival. To the throne, I am entitled, and I'll strip you of your title. I'm the king, you are the peasant, there's no time for second guessing. I am dead, I'm a child from the God above. I am dead, make it on my own, don't need no crutch. I am dead, my future sticks to the top, I'll go. I am dead, plant the feet and watch the giant grow. When the blazing sun comes up, no escaping from the rays. Feel the fire, it's engulfing through the smoke and through the haze. I will leave you all amazed, got you digging your own grave. In this revival, top arrivals, there's no chance of your survival. To the throne, I am entitled, and I'll strip you of your title. I'm the king, you are the peasant, there's no time for second guessing. I am dead, I'm a child from the God above. I am dead, make it on my own, don't need no crutch. I am dead, my future sticks to the top, I'll go. I am dead, let it feed and watch the giant grow. I am dead,
This is CRS Radio, the knowledge station. You are listening to Motown Legends and Alumni with Billy and Billy. And we are back. We're back with Billy and Billy. Um, this is an amazing show. Uh, I think a lot of people are learning a lot from this, this information from the past because it may help some artists in the future to understand what the, the mortar and brick is all about in building something of this magnitude. So I'm going to send you back to Billy, and we can uh, follow up on what we were talking about earlier. If you left, we're actually talking about uh, some of the artists of Motown and some of the lies and, and truths of Motown. So, Billy, take it over. You're all right now. Well, uh, I think we're talking about the artists getting screwed over by Barry. Now, let me also address that their contracts, even though Barry's contract was actually standard, was a standard contract, but there were a couple of things in in the contract that was interesting. For example, uh, a couple of people reached their contract. And Barry, there was a provision that was put in the contract. Okay, you can breach your contract. You don't even have to honor your contract. But if you do that, all of your royalties will stay with the company and you won't get any royalties from your records, from any records. Now, oh, there were a couple of people that done that, a few people, and the effects of it was devastating. Mary Wells, as an example, she she wanted to drop the contract, but the the lawyer, her first lawyer, went there. And Barry Gordy just showed him around. He said, look, she's not going to get anywhere similar to what we got, what we're giving her, which he was actually right. He showed them around. He showed them the facility. He showed what he had to offer. The lawyer went back and said, if I were you, I'd stay with the couple. Mary said, you're fired. She got another guy to come in. Mm-hmm. He was, that, the other guy wasn't convinced. And actually, Mary made it in very specific that she doesn't want to stay with the company. So the problem, Mary was very, one of Barry's biggest artists at the time. She was very big in the company. Barry, in fact, she was big. Barry had thought about closing the company up. That's mm. how big she was. 
I believe he jumped on another label, made a, they gave him about a million bucks. He didn't hmm. do well, but she didn't do well whatsoever. Whatsoever. Right. And she's not the first that has happened, but uh, that was a terrible thing for her. But the problem that she had was she she wasn't making enough money at Motown to to even pay all of her bills well, and she was one of the most popular artists at the company. She was the most popular artist at the company. So, um, other artists such as uh, Florence Ballard from the Supreme, she done the same thing. She just left the company. Mm-hmm. The company, the company didn't sue her for for breach of contract because basically she was kicked out of the Supreme. Now the company would have kept her as an artist. She she didn't want to have anything to do with Motown, nothing to do with the Supreme. Wasn't until later her and Mary uh, sued Motown. Neither one of them won, mm. and and, and it, it, we all know the rest of the history. You know Mary Wells, she died of throat cancer. Florence, she just died. At a yep. very, very, very young age, like thirty-five or something like that. Mm-hmm. Wow! So, she and uh, but now, mind you, Florence did jump on another label. She did have another recording, but it just all of their recordings failed, mm. and they failed. They failed miserably. Well, let me, um, let me ask you this one. Let me ask you this one, Billy. Um, in terms of the Supreme, Supremes, because we know what's going on with the with the background singers, but was was Diana Ross really the best singers out of out of all of them, or was that just a ploy with Barry Gordy because he was seeing her at one point in time? He he wasn't seeing her in the very beginning. No, no. Well, probably. Florence probably had the richest voice, but but uh, Diane had the most marketable voice. Okay. Hmm. See, black 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 men um, in a lot of cases we we threaten white people. Yeah, as far mm-hmm. as our, as far as our talent and other things of that nature, at that time, at that time, right. So, you know, there's a certain tone that white people can adhere to. They they don't like the gospely ish sound. If you sound like you come from a gospel church, they don't like that. Right. And and. Mm-hmm. It was something that, and Florence's voice had such a rich sound that it wasn't the kind of 
Chrissy sound that white people like. Because she okay. had a rich sound to her voice. Mary had, hmm. Mary had a nice sound, but Mary wasn't trying to pursue being a soloist either. She was happy just being a background singer. But, but Mary could sing, as we found out later on, once she yeah. got her, her own act. She was an excellent singer. But Diane had a voice that catered. It was kind of. It was somewhat multicultural. You know, black people didn't necessarily appreciate her voice, but they did. Young black girls did. Young young black girls. They wished that they were Diana Ross, and they okay. they wished they. <laughs> Do, do do Diana Ross, you know, they they used to get in the mirror just to do Diana Ross. But Diana okay. was, she was a famous amongst the masses. And as time had gone on, and I've said this many times over, I think she's more beautiful now than she was back then. Who, Diana? I think, yeah, I think she's more beautiful now. And she was then. Yeah, she wasn't I'm that not, that yeah. attractive back then at all. I mean, she was no, very she skinny, was, but back no, then I mean, everybody was skinny. She, to me, to me, she was attractive, but but maturity maturity done her well. You know, yeah. she she looks really good. She's she's very very attractive now. You know, some yeah. some some women as they get old we hear the stories about women getting older quicker than men, older looking quicker than men. Mm-hmm. Sometimes that's the case, but you know, I'm I'm a firm believer black don't crack. Oh, no doubt. So no doubt. So um you know, there's a regalness that comes with black women. White women don't always have that in in their in their DNA. No, but but black women got a certain regalness that you just can't deny. You know, it, it, all they have to do is keep themselves up a little bit. If they at least keep themselves together a little bit, they're gonna have some swag to them. And Diane is, Diane is a great example of that. You know, she she kept herself together. She didn't totally fall apart. You know, she washed her face when she's supposed to. You know, right, <laughs> right. She, she she didn't let her skin all dry up and you know get all crust crusty looking. Right, you know. Let me so, ask you this one, Billy. You know, you know, is, um, you know, Billy. I think, I think most black women battle oily skin rather than dry skin. I think that's what keeps the skin smooth, no wrinkles. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I would agree. Many do, many do. Yeah, I got a question for you. Now, if you had, let's go to the earlier days of Motown, 
And let's say that you had a label and you had an opportunity to get five of their acts. Which ones would they be? If it was your label and they were available. And I'm talking about in developmental stage. Five of the Motown acts? Yep. Well, first of all, I had, wait a minute. First of all, I had to have good songwriters. That's the first thing, just like Barry got. Okay. And then then I'll get the acts. Okay. I'd have to do it exactly as Barry does. He got good songwriters. Mm -hmm. Then he got the acts. Okay. So if let's say the, if I let's, if I had to pick five acts, uh, Marvin Gaye would be one. Of course, Smokey mm-hmm. and the Miracles would be two. Okay. Mar- Mary Wells would be three. Okay. Stevie Wonder would be four. You got one more. And my personal favorite would have been Martha Reese. Martha Martha Reese. Okay. Oh. Okay. Well, my it would my have been first, If it was me, and my five would be uh, Smokey Robinson. It would be Marvin Gaye. It would be. Um, let me see. It would be Stevie. And that's what, three? Yeah. Then it would be... Yeah. Let's see, who else would it be? Then it would be... I would have to say Supremes. And the last but not least would be... Who? that's a good one. Jackson. I would have to say Martha Reeves because of the fact that she was really hot. Back in the day, with dancing, that was a dancing in the street song, wasn't it? Yeah, back in the day, now Martha was hitting. Yeah, my baby, oh, yeah. Lo- my baby loves me, and uh, yeah. he wait. Didn't she do dancing in the street? street? Dancing in the street. Jimmy Mac, Jimmy Mac. Yeah, yeah. You know, that, those was yeah. a jam back then, Jack. Right. Oh, yeah. So, <laughs> let me ask you this: um, Who we gonna? What we gonna have on next week? What we gonna do next week? So the uh, audience can know what to look forward to. We try to get Frida Payne on. Okay. Okay. Well, we'll have Frida Payne, and uh, hopefully, hopefully have her. That'd be a good one to have. We're gonna have many more things coming on uh, Billy and Billy on the Motown uh, alumni chat. So we're going to ask to have a great time. Um, but before we go to a commercial break, Denise, is there anything that you want to uh, ask, Billy? Oh, I'm just listening and enjoying. <laughs> I'm I'm enjoying okay. everything. I know along the way I've been like that uh, with my little comments, but, you know, yes, I've, I've been enjoying the conversation and learning a lot about Motown that I didn't know. Uh, so I'm enjoying myself. You know what? Mm-hmm. I feel the same way. I feel the same way because I learned a lot just off in this things that I thought I knew that I didn't know. So um, mm. what we're going to do, Billy, yeah. we're going to take a quick break, and we're going to be right back 
with Billy and Billy. So people, audience out there, hold your seats. We'll be right back. This is CRS Radio, the knowledge station. You are listening to Motown Legends and Alumni with Billy and Billy. I get a little bit more
This is CRS Radio, the knowledge station. You are listening to Motown Legends and Alumni with Billy and Billy. And we are back. And any closing words? Well, my closing word is real simple. Uh, think that you have imagined about a black man in a white man's world, you have to you have to leave it into its own area because it, it, there's great truth in understanding what it meant to be black in the 60s. Prejudice was pro- prominent. Pre- prejudice in the music industry was prominent. Motown had an all-white marketing staff that helped them to navigate through the music industry. They they didn't have any black people until 1968 when Miller London came in and was a part of the company. Prejudice was important then, so... The difficulties of being black was real. So always remember that when you when you're dealing with Motown, just understand that perspective. And there was the biggest black entrepreneur in the world, but he he had to manipulate his way through the white prejudice and white culture. To become that big entity. That's all I got to say. Well said. Well said. Um, right now, though, I wanted to ask um, another question, but I know that that's all you have to say because I wanted to ask another question with uh, Billy, of course. And it was... You know, all of these things, you know, the the racism and everything that was happening in the 50s and the 60s, um, do you think, too, um, Mr. Billy, that that kind of formed, you know, it kind of formed the American uh, culture itself, even though, you know, it was hard times, it formed the, the way that everybody had written their songs and everything, do you think that that played a big part too during the time of you know when when blacks was getting voting rights and all of this other things that happened? You think that um, the music, of course, Motown formed American music itself, but do you think that that played a part in helping um, the black Americans to get civil rights? Yes, as a matter of fact, Motown was a significant part of developing the psyche of white America. Because, see, at the time, I mean, there were black groups and black people that were somewhat popular. Nat King Cole, he was popular amongst the white women, a lot of white women. White men did not like him at well, 
did not like uh, the network because their women were kind of swooning over this this chocolate man. And uh, uh, Sam Cooke, he was just a crooner of crooners, you know. He was good looking. He was a great entrepreneur. He was always kind and yeah. polite. You, you know, they were swooning over him too. Uh, um, yeah, the, Very true. The, the, yeah. the uh, platters, you know, platters had a style about them that was very, they came along before all of the Motown people, but they they helped to start that cultural look, that, that classy yeah. perspective. Motown mm-hmm. music. Barry Gordy meant for his music to be love song music. You know, you might have a tragedy in the beginning, but by the end of the song, there's some happiness that comes out the end of the song. That's the kind of music Barry Gordy wanted to make his entire time till Marvin Gaye came along and started uh, talking about the troubled times that we have at that time. Right. The yeah. trials and tribu- tribulations of war and how how terrible it is, but, you know. Well, yeah. on that but, note, on that note, let's uh, take and uh, leave out here on that note, and we're going to be back next week at the same time, same station, and we will have more updates of what's yet to come. Billy, we appreciate everything that you've done to bring this station to where it's at now. We've got a lot of things going on. And Denise, do you have a quick note on um, who's on tomorrow? Oh, um, let me pull that up. As a matter of fact, um, we have... Let me pull up. I'm sorry. I'm like... (laughs) Having oh, that's okay. uh, it right in front of me, I have to go into our CRS. I know Tim page. is on tomorrow. Tim's yeah, on from TJ. 6 to 8, right? Right. Let me and look at the lineup. I know that um, I have to look at the lineup, and I do apologize that um, okay, I didn't that's okay. pulled up. Well, yeah. I know that that so, but uh, I know that TJ he right, and so what I do see uh, tomorrow. Well, is that tomorrow? Um, let's see. I see. I know that the comedy chat is going to be coming up as well Friday at twelve p.m. Right. noon, and yeah, right. that's going to be a Friday, and then we have. Uh, of course, today was Legend and Legend, the Legend with Billy and Billy. Um, that's a Friday, and we're going to also have, uh, of course, my show coming up, and you know, this coming Sunday um, at 4 p.m. Um, I have a surprise, very special um, guest. Um, he's a lawyer, okay. Gerald and Merle Sternberg. They're with the African American Jewish Friendship Group. And then we okay. have Talk Talk Israel. And Talk Israel 
is going to be talking about the upcoming new fashion show. Um, and her, um, Anya Faber, she's going to be on Sundays at 1 p.m. And also, you know, um, it's, it's a great, great lineup of um, yes. all the programs. <laughs> I'll be better okay. prepared next time. <laughs> and Tim, Tim will be on from 6 to 8 with his jazz show on the Tim Jazz yes. Show chat. So let's take us out, Denise, and uh, we'll see everybody next week. We appreciate everybody listening in, and much love from me and Billy. Let's go. All right. Bye. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BDW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Don't you love an extra $100 in your pocket? Have a TurboTax expert file your taxes for you by March 31st to get $100 back instantly. Because no matter what moves you made last year, TurboTax makes them count. That means getting $100 back and 100% accurate taxes only from Intuit TurboTax. Must file by 331. Credit only applicable to federal filing fees with TurboTax full service. Offer can be modified or terminated at any time.